Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. These past 12 months have been unprecedented. They've been strange. They've been unique for all of us. Uh, Recently, a friend compared it to hibernating. But the truth is, none of us have been asleep through this pandemic. We've spent more time thinking and reevaluating, and nowhere is this more evident than in recruiting. With time on their hands, so many folks, especially great advisors, have had time to really reevaluate. Last month, I had the pleasure of talking to Mark Bruno and Rob Sandrew about M&A activity, and Mark told us that it's now it's soared to such great heights, bigger heights than ever. I'm excited today to chat again with Rob from Integrated Partners and Ryan Shanks from FA Match to discuss who's moving, who's standing still, and what we can expect ahead. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Rob, I know from our last chat that the pipeline right now here at Integrated Partners is really exciting. Paint a picture for us. Who are the kind of advisors you're talking to? I would say that the pipeline over the last couple of years has been pretty consistent. And certainly, as you mentioned, you know, and I'll echo Mark Bruno on the recruiting side, it has really ramped up quite considerably over the last 12 months, if not more. Um, Recently, you know, again, it's pretty consistent with what we've seen. So I'd say more seasoned advisors that are, you know, looking at integrated, uh, typically uh, 10 plus years experience. And I think really one of the kind of recurring themes is they're all really looking for a true partner for growth and culture. I think on the independent side, a lot of folks feel as if there's not necessarily a, a model in which you can have independence and full service and and a a capability, if you will, but wrapped around culture. And, and, you know, we've been able to effectively provide that to a number of advisors out there. Ryan, industry-wide, are these the kind of advisors that are on the move, these seasoned professionals with 10 plus years? What kind of advisors are you seeing that that are on the move right now? I'm seeing everyone, not necessarily on the move, but willing to engage in the conversation about the move. Uh, I'll I'll give you some perspective on that. Just today, I had a conversation with an advisor that's very, very new next gen at a wirehouse that was promised all kinds of things when he was going there. He has been there during the coronavirus, cannot market himself, cannot solicit clients, et cetera. He's interested in making a move, doesn't have much of a book, but wants to get aligned in the right environment to engage with clients the right way. Talked to another advisor that's been in the business for 20 years with an independent broker dealer. They've got issues. They're entertaining a move. So you're seeing it across the board in terms of, you know, the LOS, the length of service for them. I think what we've realized is 2020 allowed for us to have a lot of time on our hands. And with that time, you're able to reflect on where you are, whether there's something that's missing and whether it exists elsewhere. Yeah. You know, uh, Ryan, you bring up a great point. I mean, I think, we we've seen this industry evolve where you know it's almost like the advisors feel it's their responsibility to ensure that they're partnering with the right firm and there seems to be more consistency around doing some due diligence not necessarily they want to move but just to understand what's out there to ensure that they can properly support their clients and you know again grow their 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 business so I would say that you're seeing a lot more activity. Again, maybe not everyone certainly is intending to move, but they feel as if it is their responsibility to go out and really kick the tires to ensure that they are properly and you know supported by their existing platform. So Rob, with that in mind, 
why are advisors looking to move kind of in this pandemic environment? You've had more time to reflect, like Ryan said, but isn't it just safer sometimes in that status quo? Well, I, I think that what happened particularly early on during the pandemic is a lot of advisors who were not necessarily happy with their existing firm, really the, the gaps in the offering really were exacerbated for a whole host of reasons. You know, again, on the wirehouse side, a lot of that, that culture was really dependent on being in the office, being in those in those organizations physically and being able to, you know, have that partnership with the various groups around you. And, and that obviously disappeared, at least from a physical perspective, and it was remote. And then I think what you've seen is a lot of these advisors realize, okay, I, I wasn't necessarily happy where I was, where I, where I am, let's say, and the pandemic has really highlighted some of those gaps. I think that coupled with the fact that there's just been a lot of movement just in general, even pre-pandemic, where there's just more education, there's more information and data points out there for the advisors to really get a handle on what it really means to go independent or means to pick up and move their book and what it looks like. 10 years ago, it was literally like, if I'm gonna jump to the independent side, I don't necessarily know what I'm getting myself into because there wasn't a lot of information out there. And this, and, and right now, there's a significant amount of data. There's a significant amount of coverage in the space, the breakaway market, you know, RIAs, merging, M&A activity, whatever it may be. There is so much data out there and there's a lot of information that you can point to. So I think there's a, a, a little bit more of a comfort level from advisors to be able to make that jump. Ryan, if we're painting this picture of these growth-minded advisors kicking the tires, these folks that like groundhogs, they're poking their head out, they're looking around at what's available. Who are the advisors that are standing still right now? Who are the advisors that are, that are, that are sticking it out in their current environment? What do they look like? I think the advisors that are sticking out are those who've made the move within the last three, call it three years, right? It, it's disruptive to move twice in a small window of time. So they're there to sort of see how that kind of plays out. Uh, I think other advisors that are really staying put are the advisors who are fully satisfied. Like, believe it or not, there are firms doing incredible work for the advisors and adding value. So the advisor doesn't have to explore a move. They're in exactly the right spot at this moment to best serve their clients. I'm not really wanting to try to go out there and say, hey, everyone should make a move. No, just make a move until you find what's right for you and your clients. And, and the, the, what makes it difficult in this industry is it evolves. Yeah, firm's business model evolves at a certain pace. An advisor's business model evolves at a certain pace. And correlating those together sometimes, right? Sometimes it's, you know, we're trying to dance together and my move's one and yours is the other and we're just not in sync. Doesn't mean that neither of us are bad people or bad organizations, we're just not aligned right. Rob, there's this notion that advisors are moving around right now, just head towards retirement, looking for that final lily pad. But this picture that I'm getting from you guys is, this is an advisor on the upswing who's looking to move. Is that truth or is it misconception? What what do you who do you think is kind of you're not looking we're not getting the advisors kind of in that final lily pad stage? No, I think it, it, it is one in which I, I would actually say quite the contrary, where you know, I like how Ryan said the, you know, the the evolving, the advisors evolving, their business models are evolving. What I think we're seeing quite a bit of is advisors that want to put themselves in a position to, in fact, 
be that succession plan for advisors that are looking for that final lily pad, as you said, and wanting to partner with organizations that will provide them significant amount of support, not only obviously to buy a practice to be that succession plan, but just overall, again, going back to, you know, a partner for growth, the right culture, uh, there's no better time to be looking around and finding the right partner with all the business models that are out there. And I do see a lot of advisors coming to us saying, okay, this is, this is where we want to be for the long haul, partnering with, say, integrated, and then having the ability to be extremely opportunistic in an environment that there's a ton of dislocation. So it's, it's actually quite the contrary. As you hear this, you hear, you hear all these drivers every day. I'm looking to move because of succession. I'm looking to move because of growth, evolution. We talked about culture. What, what is the conversation like there at the beginning? When, how do you know you've got someone on the horn who is really serious about making a move and is not just kicking the tires? They're, they're really ready to make a change in their career here. It's a great question, Matt. A lot of time, the timing is important. It is the maturity level of dissatisfaction is a thing. If you're just today initially frustrated by where you are, it isn't necessarily the motivator to pack up and look to move, right? There's no reason in sugarcoating it. Making a transition from point A to point B is going to take time, right? Energy. It's going to take a focus away from engaging in those clients and it hits pause for whatever period of time it is. In terms of how we do our evaluation is we're engaging with advisors on the platform and off the platform. It's a function of, must-haves and want-to-haves, where you are today and where you'd like to be tomorrow. I like to tell advisors, think about your current iteration as 1.0. Think about the move you're going to make, allowing for you to move into 2.0. What does the 2.0 of you look like? Paint that picture for me. And then it's a function of really looking at that and giving candid feedback that what you're wanting 2.0 to become is not possible or it is possible, but it's possible if you look at firms that look like this, meaning vertically, they're structured this way. We like to define firms and advisors as avatar types, right? There's a compatibility to this. It's getting all of that set on the front end and then just allowing the people side of the business to kick in, which is folks like Rob and Integrated talking to those advisors to see, do you like each other? And do you, you know, can you solve for my problems? And will we have a lot of fun along the way is also a very important factor. Yeah, Ryan, you know, to your point though, I, I think, it's pretty obvious when, in my mind, an advisor is ready or not to make a move. I think it's doing them a uh, injustice if you don't highlight that. If there's someone is kicking the tires, that's great. But if someone is thinking about changing their platform and there really isn't a compelling reason, I, I mean, there, there needs to be that discovery component, right? There needs to really be a deep dive as to what, you, you know, I don't want to steal any thunder here, but are you running away from something? Because that's not a really good viable reason to pick up your, your life's work, if you will, and move it from one organization to another. You know, the other thing that seems to be kind of top of mind, we'll call it is sometimes I feel as if folks aren't doing enough due diligence. They're leaving a firm and they thought, well, you know, the last time I didn't do enough, really have a deep dive to understand and align my business model. And it's not necessarily about the next year, but focus on the next five years and, and beyond, right? And it's, I find sometimes that advisors aren't properly 
putting themselves in the right position from a due diligence perspective to really understand what's out there. Don't just talk to one firm, talk to multiple firms. Understand where you want to be, not just one year, but three years and five years out. Your business is going to evolve. You're, we're having this conversation right now because your business evolved, most likely. Do you think it's just going to stop evolving after 12 months from now? Well, it's one in which we, we really, I try to, and I know Ryan, because we partnered on, on a number of opportunities together. We're constantly making sure that these advisors are looking really more pragmatically out there to better understand what they're possibilities of their business model could look like. It's funny because I, I, I always have this vision in my head of this uh, advisor shopping for a car when they're thinking about making a move. And my dad shops for cars by going to three or four different dealerships, talking and how come with a plan. Whereas when I shop for a car, I've done all my research already and I'm going to one dealership and diving in. Ryan, when you talk to different advisors, are they more like my dad? Are they more like me where they've got, are they, are they doing a ton of discovery or they kind of have kind of a, an aim and target when, when they get down to the nitty gritty? Most advisors have assumptions that they know what they're looking for. They know what to ask, but the truth is they don't, right? So you do have some that want to go down that path all on their own, right? We, we call that kind of more the automated, I want to drive the car. And you've got a decent amount that are like, I'd like to ride shotgun and someone else sort of lead that process. It's very much our philosophy is let's empower you to understand who you are and where you are. Let's, let's be very transparent about what leverage you may or may not have, right? When I'm talking with a next gen advisor, that's got a small book of clients or no clients, you have to understand here's how you need to position yourself to these firms. And you want to focus on this move being one. I like to tell folks it's chess. It's not checkers, checkers. You want to make certain that you're thinking long enough down the road. It's the long game because you're trying to service these clients for the long game. So envision where what you may evolve to in five years and try to apply that back to the due diligence today. For example, I have a $50 million book of business. I got 50 clients. I want to move over and I want to do more planning. I want to be able to charge for the planning. I'd like to have a lead gen program that I want to step into. I'd like to maybe acquire some books of business down the road. There's lots to unpack there. You can find a firm that will support you on the planning side, let you charge what you want to charge for the planning, but may not have any wherewithal or, or capital to be an aligned partner for that acquisition piece, for example. So it's really, it's unpacking it and it's getting a sense of what are the data points that are representative of who you are today, who you want to be tomorrow, and how do they connect with what firms are out there in the marketplace? You know, Rob brought something up earlier. You go back 10 years ago, you go back, you know, when I got in the business 21 years ago, you know, I remember my first call with an independent broker dealer. I was like, what? They're independent. And these are, these advisors are making 90 cents on the dollar. Like, what is this? It has gotten so hyper competitive and frankly, very confusing for an advisor that raises her head up and says, oh, wow. It used to be that to be independent was for you to affiliate with an independent broker dealer or to launch your own RIA and find a firm to custody your assets with. Now there are so many different variations to independence of which integrated is a great solution, right? For so much of that. So I think it's the advisor recognizing that and saying, listen, hopefully as you've gotten older in the business, you've gotten smarter about the type of client you want to work with. So too have the firms about the type of advisor they want to work with. I always say it's like the, the beauty of independence is choice. The curse of independence is choice. There's just so much, so much information. It can be very confusing. 
you know, and having a partner like Ryan and, and other firms to help objectively navigate through the industry. I, I mean, the vernacular between one firm in terms of economics and another firm could be wildly different. And it's just very hard for an advisor that's not coming from the independent side in particular to get a really good handle on all the moving pieces and all the nuances in the vernacular that goes with our space. Rob, with all that in mind, what's kind of the biggest recruiting hurdle you face? We've talked about you know, these different minded advisors. You mentioned choice. What's kind of the biggest recruiting hurdle that, that, that exists? I think it's always been inertia. It's, it's one in which the devil you know versus the devil you don't. But I think that, again, because of the pandemic in particular, the gaps in a lot of these offerings have been highlighted, in many cases exacerbated, become worse. I also think it's a bit of the, the fear of the unknown. And how do you, quote unquote, unpack what it really means to go independent? There will be a lot of people kicking tires trying to understand what it means ultimately to pick up your business and move from one firm to another. The challenge, I think, is there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of muddled, if you will, business models out there, meaning platforms out there that don't really spend enough time painting a clear, concise picture of what it means, not just coming in the door in a transition, but what you're as an advisor, what is your practice going to look like on our platform? And how are you effectively going to leverage our resources? And what does that mean day to day? And how are you going to effectively, literally partner with, with our firm? How are you going to tap into those resources? I don't think firms do, do a good enough job painting a picture of really what it's going to, like that tangible feel, if you will, for an advisor to, to walk out of, a, out of a, you know, a due diligence meeting and say, okay, I get what it means to be at this firm and this is exactly how I'm going to leverage resources. I think there's a lot of confusion in our industry because people are not able to effectively explain their value proposition for these platforms. So Ryan, how do you get advisors over that hurdle? How do you get them past the inertia and into thinking more broadly about their evolution and their future? A lot of it starts with why are you in this business? I'm in this business because I want to I want to positively impact clients and their lives and I want to set them up to be able to retire at some point in the future with a higher accumulation of wealth than they had when we met. And I wanna be able to mitigate risk along the way. Are you in the best position to be the best advisor to your clients? Do you have all of the right resources, technology, et cetera? If there's elements there that aren't adding up to the standards you have for yourself and your client model, there is the option that it exists elsewhere. It will require, if you found it, to move, but on the other side of that move is a much happier, better place to service your clients. So if you're on the other side and you're happier at the work that you love doing for your clients, that's the alignment exercise that matters more than anything. Rob, with all this in mind, and with that kind of that notion of that why in their head, what are advisors demanding from firms these days? What, what's kind of on their, on their checklist as they think about making this move? I think what we, we're seeing a lot of Advisors, again, like a recurring theme amongst advisors that choose to affiliate or partner with us, this entrepreneurial vision. And they want to make sure that there's an entrepreneurial spirit within the organization. But I'd say even before that, it's execution. Execution is absolutely key. 
there's a lot of like, let's talk about what we can do for you as an organization, but the execution part sometimes falls short. And I think that's, that seems to be one of the more consistent due diligence focus is, okay, I get you got these resources, but what does that really mean for me? And help me understand again, tangible. How do I make that tangible to make sure that actually your firm is going to execute on what you're saying? So I think that execution piece is a, is a big one because it's a very competitive landscape. There's a lot of firms. We have to continue to evolve. We have to continue to get better, be, be progressive. We have to execute. We have to be able to do the blocking and tackling. And then again, as we evolve, continue to execute on, on whatever nuance we're providing to that advisor to, that they, so that they can more effectively support their client base. What's ahead, Ryan? As we emerge from this pandemic, what can we anticipate from recruiting industry-wide as we kind of head into 2021 and beyond? I think the single greatest thing that's come out of 2020 is most all financial advisors are aware of optionality and I believe are willing to engage in a conversation to explore alternatives. I don't think we have ever been in a place in this industry where you could have the masses, financial advisors, willing to entertain in that conversation. And I think it, it becomes a function of the firms who've got the most integrated offering, no pun intended, right? But are, but are really focused on driving real value. They're the ones that are ultimately going to win. Now, but I'll tell you, I, our industry has really been kind of falling in love with sort of the shiny objects, I like to call it. You know, firms that are sort of getting the press every week and, and those types of things. And that's great. They're being successful. But there are advisors that will never get to the $5 million or $5 billion mark, right, in assets. Yet they find themselves sort of comparing, and it's like, you shouldn't do that. You need to sort of recognize you yourself, look in the mirror and what it is that you want to accomplish, and go get that. Again, I think we've got, we've got incredible people in this industry on the advisor side, on the firm side. I think the other thing that's really worth staring at that blows me away that we're still trying to get our arms around it is continuity in this industry as a whole. Advisors are not getting any younger. They're not putting in place retirement plans to monetize and get out of the business. They're just staying in the business longer as they always have. What concerns me there is that the value of that asset shrinks the longer you're in the business as an advisor with clients that are older. And, and I just don't think that there's enough time spent there in terms of like, it, we understand the purpose, but from a continuity perspective, what if you were to execute on a transaction in your 50s but to do it in a way to where you could stay in the business to service those clients for however long you want, right? I think that's a much more thoughtful approach. So we'll see how that shakes out. I'm, I'm super optimistic. I'm, I'm obviously in the business of trying to bring good people with, together with good people. I consider Rob an integrated one of them. Rob, what do you think when you look at this year and beyond? Uh, what's your outlook? I, I mean, I, I think it's it's exciting. Uh, it's certainly the like I said before, the landscape of these organizations like ours, it's just, it's very competitive and it, and it forces us to, to be better, to continue to evolve. And, and I, I find it to be very exciting, keeps me very engaged as we evolve as advisors do too. And I, I don't see any slowdown as it relates to this migration towards the independent channel. I, I think it's actually going to pick up over the next handful of years, just again, because a couple of things, the pandemic, the, the ability to work remote, the technological advances on the independent side, 
just the, the overall uh, sophistication of the business models of firms like ours continue to get better and better. You know, and if there's a way in which, and as an advisor, I can have an, a, a model where I truly am independent, I own my client base, and there's all the resources I need to effectively support my existing clients and go out and bring in new business, whether that means the same type of client or go up market, whatever that may mean. I mean, that, it's exciting. There's just a lot of opportunity. On the flip side, to Brian's point, excuse me, to Ryan's point, is that there, there is a concern. There's just, it seems to be a very big challenge for us to bring new blood into the industry. It's, it's one in which it's almost like we're kind of hiding under the covers, just hoping it goes away. Clearly, that's not going to happen. I mean, you know, we work very closely with CPAs. If you want a cautionary tale of what would happen in our business if, if, if we don't pay attention, it's the CPA market. I mean, the average CPA is north of the average advisor in terms of age. The average client of a CPA is actually higher or, or older rather than, than the average client of an investment advisor. And their business is getting crushed in terms of the people retiring and and just overall, there's just no youth going into the CPA world, just like our world. So we need to get ahead of this. And Great and others are thinking about this, but I think we all as an industry need to be more focused on the, the opportunity in the sense of bringing younger folks into the industry. That's an, a succession plan, right? And it's just, it's not quite there today. Well, this has been a really exciting conversation, guys. Thank you both so much. Now, I always end these conversations the same way. I go to my nine-year-old son to get our last question. I talked to him a little bit about how we were talking today about the pandemic and how people are peeking out and looking for new opportunities. CJ asked this question. So when this pandemic ends, what's one thing you're looking forward to doing that you've never done before? He said that he wanted to go to a different amusement park than he's never been in before, which I think is just him planting a seed with his father that he wants to go on vacation. Anyway, to you guys, <laughs> Ryan, I'll ask you first, uh, what's one thing you're looking forward to doing that you've never done before when all this pandemic stuff ends? I got to tell you, kudos to your kid. Like, you know, I thought, oh, what's one thing that you, you, you can't wait to get back to? One thing that I've never done? I'm a... Uh, I'm somewhat risk adverse. I'll tell you what it is and what I am putting it on the calendars. I'm, you know, I'm going to Austria next year on a ski trip. Wow. It's something that I've never done. I'll be with a bunch of folks who ski at a much higher level than me. So I may be having beers <laughs> while they're skiing, but I'm trying, you know, again, I think, look, we're all this pent up demand, you know, we're meant to be social. What's great is, is we've been able to do that sort of through a video lens and kind of come into one another's homes during this, this, this crisis, which has actually been a silver lining. But I, I, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. But, you know, I, I miss a connection. I miss getting together with people and hugging them and shaking their hands. And it's, we need that. I agree. I agree. Hey, Rob, what do you think? What's one thing that you're looking forward to doing that you've never done before? I agree with Ryan in terms of like the, the social piece. It's just, I really miss the days where we can all get together and hang out. And, and I'm very much looking forward to that. One of the things I've done many times before, but I'm very interested in getting back to is concerts. Can't wait to go to a concert. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I really want to do that I have not done before, let's just say I celebrated a big birthday this year and really couldn't do much. We are going to go to Cabo 
I have never, we're down in San Diego, as you guys know, and uh, been over the border, but not to Cabo. And I'm very excited to do that once this pandemic is over. That's, that's amazing. I, I, I love this last question because I always feel like I, I see much more of folks once we really start to explore these last questions. So, so thank you guys both for a great conversation today and for helping us learn a little more about what's on the horizon. So thank you both so much. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. Ryan Shanks is the co-founder and CEO of FA Match and is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners and LPL Financial.